Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Beyond the INC, the podcast that still has no conclusive answer regarding whether bears defecate in the woods or not. We've been out and about with the band on their tour of the UK's green, pleasant and tree-filled places. And of course a few clubs and music halls along the way. So we're going to be looking back on those shows and telling you why it was most definitely a tour of two halves. And if that wasn't enough, we've got for you a preview of the band's surprise set, in inverted commas, in the field of Avalon at this weekend's Glastonbury Festival. So that's all coming up on today's Beyond the INC. We're almost at the end of the summer's UK tour of forests and clubs now, with just a couple more engagements left up north. Now certainly there seems to be a lot of people out there who were just waiting for the band to get wood. <laughs> you came from afar to see the band this time, and it was a pleasure to meet so many of you out yeah, there. Been, um, we've been chilly with Chileans, uh, we've been checked out by Czechs, and we've mixed with Mexicans. I don't know what to say to that. I'm sorry, Andrew. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, each show was something completely different. I mean, the, the, the club shows have you know, so far been hot and sweaty and intense and very sticky. Whilst the forest shows, I understand, have been expansive and a lot more relaxed. Yeah, and I think, well, obviously, as I've alluded to already, the crowds were, were cosmopolitan and, and really varied, actually. And I think, as a result, the music was attuned to that and varied as we went. So, the forest shows. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go to any forest shows because, basically, they're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, they they don't suit the man who doesn't drive. Yeah, and and yeah, I had an other engagements as well. But yeah, it just it just made it very difficult to get yeah, to. Yeah, I think possibly as a um, possibly as a result of that, I think you ended up with a slightly older crowd at, at the the forest shows. People who could actually drive and di- could afford cars. Yeah, um, I think the the fact that you had this older crowd um, at the shows came into the setlist a little bit. So. Mm. Um, a Bad Dream was played at the first couple of forest shows and then dropped for the club shows and right. then it was back uh, at the next uh, show at Westonbirth. So oh. um, we had this sort of, this sort of, um, almost sort of two different sets. The the more intense show yeah. in in the club and something a bit more bit more laid back in the forest. A set. Yeah, definitely. And I think that this tour overall had the most varied sets to date. Um, hmm. Just sort of looking at it very, very broadly, because it did change night to night, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, Under the INC, probably better represented than any of the other records. Yeah. Um, whereas you would expect, ho- Hopes and Fears obviously had the most sort of big hits from it. I think there were what, five, five, six singles, depending on which territories you include. Mm. Um, Under the INC only had, what, four? I think so, yeah. Um, but yeah, Under, Under the INC had, you know, I think there was, what, seven tracks at that first Forest show. Perfect Symmetry, on the other hand, only had four. So, you know, there was definitely a bias towards those first couple of records. Um, very sort of a populist set, but it, it was mixed up every single night, which is great. Yeah, I did notice at uh, the Roundhouse the return of uh, Hamburg Song, which I thought was brilliant, actually. It was one of those things that it came on and I thought, I know this, but I wasn't, like, absolutely thrilled and going, oh, my God, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, basically my initial reaction wasn't, this is amazing, but I... I it was a welcome surprise. It was one of those things where you forget how good it is. And, you know, I was really admiring Tom's organ playing. I thought, you know, the the, the uh, left-hand part was excellent. I, I know of many people who would like to admire Tom's organ playing. Um, no, the, I think there's lots of people who've given Hamburg Song um, quite a bit of um, quite a bit of stick. Um, because it's one of those very simple and quiet songs, but quite mm. atmospheric. And 
I know what you mean. It's one of those songs that if you'd have asked me which song do you miss from the set, there's no way I would have said Hamburg song. Yeah. Um, I think it has some strange memories as well because we this was one of the early songs that we heard at the sort of at the tail end of the Hopes and Fears campaign. Yeah. And, and this was one of the bright new hopes that the yeah, Under this, the Iron Sea. Yeah, this was one of the first songs that Tim debuted for Under the Iron Sea. And I remember hearing it and just thinking, that for God's sake, is this it? <laughs> it's a sketch of a song. It's a B-side. And... It's, I it, don't know, it's, it's not though, in reflection, in this place yeah, and the way it's, yeah. it turns out on record and, and, you know, subsequently live. I think it's, uh, I thought it was a welcome return actually and it's great that they've, they've got that variety of things to actually mix it up and they, and they are mixing it up. Yeah, I think the thing I like about Hamburg Song is the tension. There is this sort of crackle of tension throughout it because it's so stripped down. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't want to hear thrilling, it. Yeah, I wouldn't want to hear it at every show. But no, um, as far as as far as slow songs go, I think it's you know it's definitely got a charm to it. No, good call putting that one in. Yeah, speaking of sort of mixing the setup as well, um, something that I think we on a very early podcast, I think we we mentioned that um, the band have been so reticent about moving away from having bed shape to close their gigs. They tried it for a while when Under the IC came out and tried finishing with Crystal Ball. Uh, and then very quickly Bedshape went back to the end of the set where it has been ever since. Um, they occasionally do throw it up and add an extra encore of Under Pressure or something like that, but it's, mm. you know, it had been one of those established things. You hear Bedshape come in, you know that that's the end. You know, you yeah. could have 3,000 people baying for absolute blood for another encore. I remember speaking to Richard about this in 2004 and he said, yeah, that's going to be the final song forever and ever and ever. <laughs> well, you know, what... Time to move on, and obviously Richard is a much different man to the one that he was in 2004. So um, we had, on this tour, three different ending songs, I, I think. I think. Um, I only saw two. Um, I saw My Shadow. Yeah. And uh, apparently Crystal Ball, um, after um, the Western Perth show. That's, That's what a good way Forest. to rip it up, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it gets away from that, you know, big ballady finish. Yeah. And, you know, you get another big sort of rock finish. I, I don't know. I, I love Crystal Ball as a song. I know there are some people that don't. I think the, uh, as part of this sort of variation, you've now got a point where you have set rotation. You've got... I wonder whether this was something that I said on the old forum or whether this was something that was in an earlier podcast. Um, but I, I love this idea of having uh, points in the set, sort of jump-off points, where you can say, OK, the body of the set, we're going to do, you know, let's play 17 songs. We're definitely going to play these 12 songs, probably roughly here, but in between, there are these little points where one night, let's try this song. N- the next try, let's. The next night, let's do this. So for this tour, Back in Time was the opener. The second song was something from Hopes and Fears. I think you've always wanted to see the word or written on the set list, haven't you? Something or something. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's not going to happen because I think they have meetings and they're much more professional about this than I would be. But um, it's it seems to have been happening that you, once you've got that broad structure where you say, okay, here's going to be a song from Hopes and Fears, a quiet one. Here we'll put in, you know, this is the last time, or everybody's changing. And suddenly you can you can move things around in the set and you can really mix it up without tampering with the overall sort of flow of the, the show. So this time, Atlantic, again and again, uh, Nothing in My Way was in there a couple of times. Uh, Frog Prince was back, a full band version, which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, you Don't See Me... Um, they all came in and went out depending on the demands of the show and how the band were feeling. And that really rewards the fans who go to more than one show as well because they're not seeing the same thing. Whereas, you know, before we, we saw, when we saw Keane on one stage, you know, the next night they'd be doing exactly the same thing. And Tom, in a Tom would be city. saying exactly the same just things in a as different, well. On a different stage, yeah. You know, from the bottom of his heart. Um, that was fucking awesome. 
um, sing your hearts out. Uh, you know, you know the sort of thing I mean. Um, anyway, yes. So I think we we can both agree that we enjoyed the set this time. Yeah, for I mean, I, as I said, I only saw the roundhouse one, but I I thought that was absolutely crazy. Um, let's just have a very quick word um, before we um, go on. And look at you know the the gigs that we actually did go to. Um, just a quick word about the support acts that we saw. Um, unfortunately, again, Chris Chris has been missing out on a lot of things lately, and unfortunately, Chris got to the roundhouse too late to actually see Kanon's only support slot of the tour. Why would you put an artist who is number two in the charts, who's in the middle of a massive worldwide promotional campaign, who's getting massive exposure, on at seven o'clock? Well, I, I can answer that question for you, Chris. Um, Mr. Wasame, is that how you say his surname? I hope so. Um, basically, he, he'd come straight in from South Africa. Um, literally, he'd been in South Africa sort of 18, 19 hours beforehand. Straight off a plane, straight, you know, to the show to meet up with the guys who were playing with him. And I think under those circumstances, I can't imagine that he'd had an awful lot of time to prepare himself for the show. As it was, he only did an acoustic slot with... Um, you know, I think a drummer, someone on bongos, someone on acoustic guitar, I think. Right. And he only did five songs. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just that preparation. If he had time to prepare, you know, a proper a proper band, proper set and everything, and it had been sort of less rushed, then I'm, I'm fairly sure he would have played slightly longer. As it was, he was just, you know, it was a flying visit for two or three days to promote, you know, promote Waving Flag. And he had time to drop in on Keen as well, so... Um, no, I, I, I can understand your frustration with missing out on him. Yeah. Um, the one band that you did see, though, uh, the Helio sequence. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, well, I only caught half their set, but uh, yeah, I thought they were pretty interesting, actually. I'm not sure... I, they, they reminded me a bit of um, Stone Roses somehow. There's something not... I don't know. Not, it's no, not an obvious comparison. You're, but no, you're thinking like of they've got one song which has a melody which is kind of like Waterfall, I think. Right, that's probably it then. But I mean, I kind of walked in and thought, oh, sounds very kind of that sort of psychedelic indie. Yeah. Classic indie. Well, I don't know. But they're a strange sort of band for me because I like their songs. Um, they play them well. They play them with a passion. Um, my my dad actually bought one of their CDs at uh, the Western Birch show because he really liked them. Right, the drummer's definitely entertaining to watch. He oh, pulls definitely. all kinds of faces. But and I don't know. This this for me is all very very close to a deal breaker for them live. Playing as a two piece, it just doesn't quite work because I've always thought of this playback divide. And if you go back and listen to um, the episode, um, the laptop breaks down. It's yeah. like episode six or so. Um, there's, there's this sort of divide where if you are playing as a band and you have some recorded tracks coming off a laptop or off tape or something and you're playing along to them, they have to be very subtle for it not to upset, you know, the, the, the person watching. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people who are watching them uh, play at the Roundhouse who just look confused, you know, who couldn't understand why there was bass and all sorts of other instrumentation when there was clearly just a guitarist and a drummer. And, you know, I think if it's if you're doing something very subtle that, you know, I don't know, I think Keen just about straddled that line when they first came out with having Definitely. the bass coming off the laptop, and it just about worked. But, you know, at Birmingham, I think their penultimate song, uh, the laptop just stopped working after 30 seconds, so they had to stop and start again. And right. not only is that embarrassing, but it also makes it look... You know, it it breaks down that suspension of disbelief that you want to believe in the songs because they're good songs. Yeah. Um, 
So they need to get a few more Jesse Quinns on board. Yeah, yeah. I, as I said, I like the songs, so I don't want to be harsh on them or anything, but I just think that without one or two extra people to play the extra parts, yeah, it doesn't quite work for me. Um, yeah. and, and, of course, finally, let's not forget Everything Everything, who Chris did not see. Um, but I saw them at Westenburg, and I uh, I really enjoyed them. Um, I would say that they're better on record than live, just because the singer's falsetto is... Well, some of the people around me, I think it, it grated on them. And there were some tuning issues, but it was good fun. So uh, were they sort of similar sort of indie thing, or, or what kind of band were they? Um, something that I think you would have liked. They had um, two... Um, Oh no! I think I've seen them. Yeah, they're quite electro. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, No, very, very interesting. And they didn't, they didn't do the electro in sort of the the kind of style that you would expect them to. They weren't trying to be sort of a a classic synth pop kind of act. They were interesting, definitely. Yeah, yeah, interesting band. Cool. So let's talk about the specific shows that we each saw. Um, obviously, Chris and I weren't at Thetford or Bedbury, which were the first two Forest shows, unfortunately. Um, we both actually had tickets for Bedbury, but it was just, I couldn't get the time off work, and Fate it was just against us, too yeah. much of a challenge for Chris, and anyway, we didn't go, but I've heard, I've, well, I've, I've heard from some people who were there that it was, a, you know, a really great home crowd, close to home for the band, um, loud, just a, a really, really good show, um, which is nice, and then, of course, it was back to London. Yeah, the show we did see together, the Roundhouse, absolutely boiling, fucking hot. Um, I think even Rich, Richard on stage, um, he was on his blog later saying how hot it was. Believe me, if he'd have been down in the crowd, I've never been to a, a gig that was hotter. And the reason why it was hot wasn't so much because it was a hot day. They just didn't put the air conditioning on until it was far too late. So um, we absolutely sizzled. I, I don't know about you, I thought the 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 crowd there was pretty decent. Considering there was obviously you know a smaller crowd than they usually play to. Yeah, I mean I was standing at the back, but I could still hear loads of singing, you know, coming all around the hall. I mean even you know I think it was somewhere it's only we know of where Tom didn't sing like the, one of the verses and just let the crowd sing it, and that was as loud as Tom. It's a funny kind of venue because it's got such a high ceiling, isn't it? Yeah. So um, I've all, I I always worry that the acoustics aren't going to quite work in there, but it's you know it, it sounded fine, and um, obviously big loud crowd. Much better than the fridge, obviously. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, any highlights for you, Chris? My personal highlights were Hamburg Song, as we mentioned earlier, and also um, Perfect Symmetry. Uh, for some reason, that just really got me this time. It's nice. It's uh, yeah. Considering we were saying how none of the Perfect Symmetry was, you know, Perfect Symmetry wasn't really focused on in these sets. That was that was a great great addition in my yeah. Um, I I really enjoyed Nothing in My Way um, this time. And obviously, we've got to say, because Kanon was there, um, they mm. were able to do stop for a minute as God intended. <laughs> God, of course, being Tim. Um, I think Well, he, the radio <laughs> edit version still. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think t- when Kanon's there, he just adds something to it that, you know, they can't replicate it without him. Mm. Um, it's, it is a good song, but when they, they do it again, they just re- repeat that second bridge. In place of Kanon. I mean, we did say that they might do a video screen with him on, but it was quite a kind of low-key production, wasn't it? So there wasn't any of that fancy yeah, stuff in, I, in I, the... I was going to touch on this, because... Yeah. Um, I don't know, if you remember, we, we had a bit of a go at the ticket prices for this tour before. But I think we kind of, you know, the, what we were saying was it's bloody expensive, but, you know, for that price, I'd expect, you know, outdoor shows, probably like some, some pretty big production. Some video screens, maybe, um, maybe some lasers... 
you know, I don't know, just something something out of the ordinary. And they played in front of a sheet. You know, what they, did they spend the money on? They, they, they had more elaborate productions when they were playing, um, you know, Rock City in Nottingham. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's just unbelievable. I, d- you know, I, d- I don't know quite exactly why that was, you know, such an expensive show to go to, considering. But, um, yeah, the, the production was quite low-key. I, I, I see where you're coming from there. So there was no chance of the stage with screens where it was just Kanan and Keen. Yeah. I mean, that, that was such an obvious thing to do, but maybe it wasn't to be. Yeah. Well, Who knows, maybe, maybe, maybe the when, they're, you know, when they're doing massive arena shows later in the year, they can have, uh, if they do massive arena shows later in the year and they can have um they can have Kane on um you know they can have him you know do a proper set supporting them or something I don't know but yeah mm. and after that I understand you went to Birmingham I did back to your old stomping ground I did yeah it was um uh it's where you and I first met oh, all those happy memories all yeah. those years ago outside outside the academy which now lies the old academy which now lies empty and waiting to be knocked down I didn't realise they'd moved it. Yeah, they have. Um, they moved uh, about 10, 15 minutes walk away um, uh-huh. down towards, um, I don't know why I'm going to call out areas of Birmingham as if people listening will know them. Um, they've moved out to right next to the main road through Birmingham, next to, uh, well, it used to be a nightclub called Dome, and now that's where the new academy is. And the benefit that the new academy has over the old one is that I think it's it's got a much lower ceiling in the main room. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the main selling point of the old academy, there was a, a balcony around the top. You remember, yeah. And then standing underneath, but the balcony was really huge and extensive. Um, so you had people who were standing on the balcony really close to the stage, and they've replicated that at the new one. Um, okay. And what it means is that you have this real sort of packed in, close, like a theatre. Sort of yeah, yeah, it's it is a fantastic place to see music. Yeah. In terms of club venues, I think they've really captured the old venue in the new one. I mean, it used to be the case that new venues were sort of a bit sterile and things. Yeah. But you know, with the O2, that's that's a good you know regards it as a good new venue, and and it's good to see uh, getting it right. Yeah, and I think that you know, if I go on and talk about the actual show itself, um, I've honestly, when it was at its loudest, I've never ever been to a louder Keen show. Um, just in terms of the the crowd and the energy. Um, it's because of the the enclosed space and the low ceiling. Every every time you know every voice reverberated around the place. It you know it was really really loud. The only downside I would say is that really I mean the the, the crowd were only really loud for the big hits. Yeah. Um, big sing-alongs from Hopes and Fears. Even even like the singles from Under the Iron Sea, they didn't really have you know the same reaction. So in that respect, it wasn't as hardcore a crowd. They just sounded unbelievable for, you know, for the big song, Summer Only We Know, Bed Shaped. Everybody's Changing, massive reaction, unbelievable. Really good show, really good show. Cool. Um, you always get a good show on Birmingham, Chris. Always get a good show on Birmingham. Uh, and they varied the set list there. Were there any, so what were your particular highlights from that show? Um, I'm going to be really, really predictable and say that my highlights were the old songs, to be quite honest. Um, is that just because of the reaction to them, or, yeah. or the way they were played, or? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, in a way, it was kind of a shame that they closed with My Shadow, although I thought it was an excellent version of My Shadow. Um, because if they'd have ended with Bed Shaped and sent everyone home, you know, with that sort of noise behind them, then, you know, it would have been unbelievable. But, you know, never mind. It was, as I said, it was a great show. Really great show. 
Cool. And then uh, I understand finally you went off to a proper forest gig in it, literally in a forest. Yeah. Well, actually, to be honest, it wasn't really. Um, <laughs> oh, the Westonbert show in Gloucestershire. Obviously, technically, Westonbert is an arboretum and everything. Um, the only the, the the only thing I would say is that basically you you know you came in front entrance of the arboretum. You drive down the drive, uh-huh. and before you even got to any sort of trees, that was where the stage was, backing on you know with the back to the trees. So, um, technically, you you didn't really feel like you were in a, a forest situation. If there were too many trees, you wouldn't be able to see the stage. Yeah, you couldn't see the band for the trees. Um, but no, in this case, you definitely could see the band. Um, I think I mentioned it uh, to start with, but I think the forest shows in general um, were an older crowd. And I think Westonbirt's probably the oldest average age crowd that Keane have ever played to. Um, and I think it says something when there's a big queue of people to come in and... Usually, everybody runs for the front where the barrier is. Mm-hmm. And this time, you had, you know, a few people at the front, you know, who ran for the barrier. And then everyone else sort of, you know... We can't see you walking on a <laughs> podcast, Andrew, but you're motioning, casually sauntering or Stro- strolling. Strolled in with their picnic camper and right. set up camp next to the sound desk. Which I thought was very sweet, because... Um, Obviously, they've been sta- they've been trying to stake out the best place for their picnic, rather than <laughs> trying to stake out the barrier, which I thought was very sweet. Um, or, or standing in front of the sound desk where you'd actually get the best sound. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone has different priorities, really, don't they? Definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, as I said, an old crowd, and I, I took along my my dad. Cool. Uh, who uh, I think his last the last gig he went to was Tangerine Dream at the Coventry wow. Cathedral. God knows when that was. Jesus. Um, and my brother and sister who um, don't get to shows very much. Um, well, I should, to be honest, I should say that Gloucester really doesn't get many gigs. It really, really doesn't. And growing up there, it was really hard to get to shows. And basically, until you're old enough to drive, you don't get to see live music. Um, it's, just, it's just too far to get to Bristol or to Birmingham. So you're basically in a cultural no-man's land. And um, it was really, really nice to go and see a gig in Gloucestershire. It really was. Not have to drive too far to get home. Yeah, exactly. It was um, it was funny. I think that's the first gig I've ever seen in Gloucestershire, having lived there for years and years and years. Wow. Um, so yeah, um, won't say too much about the the show itself. Um, it was um, a bad dream came back. Yeah. I just want to make a, a little admission um, because on the Twitter a few days ago, um, I think I described a bad dream in passing as turgid. Uh, when I was describing the set list from the first uh, Forest show. Okay. And um, I saw that Richard uh, Richard tweeted someone else about the turgid, in inverted commas, a bad dream. So I'm gonna I bet re- he's regretting uh, following us now, isn't he? <laughs> um, I think I'm regretting being followed by anyone. Um, no, I was just going to say that I thought it was actually pretty good. A bad dream. Pretty the good. They have it. The official line. <laughs> um, I wouldn't like to hear it at every show, but I think what they've done with it is really good because having Jesse involved on it now, it sounds beefier than it used to. Um, hmm. I, d- I don't know. It, it just seemed to have a muscularity that it didn't have before. And I like that. But it sounded good and it made sense in the context of the show. And it was, yeah, it was good. Cool. The only downside of Western Burt, it pissed with rain. Yeah. And we missed the England game. But then the England game was awful, so... I think Keane did you a favour, really. Yeah. So, Chris, just, I mean, just wrap it all together. Well, you know, did you enjoy the tour? The one gig that the you The one gig. To? Oh, it's hard to summarise a tour from one... A forest <laughs> tour when I didn't go to any forest gigs. But, yeah, I thought... I thought... Every time I see Keane these days, I think they've... 
they've gone a bit further and you know there's an extra maturity there an extra assuredness from them i mean richard's drumming at the roundhouse was really powerful i mean normally he sort of he used to play along and but you know particularly in the first part of the set in back in time stuff he was really driving the band yeah and yeah each of them have gone individually and together as a band i mean you've got to say that about jesse since he his introduction they've really gelled a lot better as a, a natural band um so and I thought you know that that manifested itself very well in these shows where they had the opportunity to do longer sets, mix up the sets, and it just showed off what they've been able to you know work on and and uh, had been able to best themselves in the past few years. So yeah, I thought I thought it was a, it was a great gig actually. Yeah, mm. I think that that really came through the maturity of them these days when Tom was faced with a lot of banter at Birmingham, you know, a lot of heckling. Right. And he was able to deal with it and be, you know, you know, have a back and forth. And we were just talking earlier about how, you know, Tom, at every single show, he'd say the same things because he just wanted to get the show out of the way and get off stage. Stick to the plan, yeah. Whereas, you know, I think there's a, there's a growing maturity in the band, as you bloody well hope so after, you know, after all this time. But it, it really is, it's, you know, it's getting better and better each time you see them play. Do you wish you'd gone to more shows? I do actually. I wish I'd. Uh, it was a bit easier. Maybe we should have organised a bus or something. But next time, next time. How about yourself? Um, I don't know. I wrote this sort of really pompous sounding bit earlier. But I mean, let's be honest. I mean, most things I do are going to sound fucking pompous. No, the <laughs> oh god, look at this. Yeah. Um, no, it was one of those tours that illustrates the dichotomy at the heart of the band. <laughs> Let me just get my dictionary. Okay. Yeah. Basically, what what it, I think what I was trying to say there. Um, basically, on one hand, on one hand, they'd love to have this sort of, you know, this sort of synth pop, big sort of beaty um, pop song kind of set. On the other hand, they've got um, an older fan base who would love to hear the ballads of hopes and fears, you know, Hamburg song, a bad dream, the the slower songs, the torch songs. And I think they're tackling the task of pleasing everyone yeah tinkering with the set list to make sure that everyone goes home happy and they're, they're doing that better than ever before hmm. um, mixing it up from night to night if they're playing in a club they'll drop a couple of the slower ones put in some something with a bit more pace they're playing outdoors to an older crowd in comes Hamburg's song Bad Dream uh, You Don't See Me you know it's I think they are getting better as a band in judging their audience and judging themselves yeah, I'd, I'd agree that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, pompous, but I think you can probably see there's a, there is a point in there, sort of. Um, I was just going to sum up by saying, like, overall, when you look at it, I'd say it's, it's not their biggest tour, and it's mm. not their best tour. But I think if you look at all the dates so far, probably their most interesting tour to date. As those once young men of Ash once sang, oh yeah, it was the start of the summer. And nothing says the start of the summer like the Glastonbury Festival of Performing Arts. And a couple of weeks ago, Keane finally revealed what we'd long suspected, that they'd be appearing at the festival on the occasion of its 40th birthday. And not just any performance. You see, whereas back in 2004 and 2005, the only two performances that Keane have given at the festival, 
they played as part of a tour of festivals. They were playing all, all sorts of shows around Europe and the rest of the world, taking their touring show onto the other stage in 2004 and the main pyramid stage in 2005. But this time, they're going to do something much more special. Yep, they've announced that they're going to be playing on the uh, tented Avalon stage, which is uh, one of the festival's smaller stages, I understand, on the Saturday afternoon at about 4.30. That's a Sunday, Chris. On the Sunday afternoon at about 4.30. Now, if you've got a very long memory, I think you'll remember that Tim dropped by here in December, and there was a very heavy hint about what they were going to be doing this summer. I'll tell you what's annoying about the Forest Tour is that we're going to be missing you two at Glastonbury. Are you going to be at Glastonbury in any other capacity? <laughs> well, I'm very eager to get down there, as is Tom. Um, I, It's going to be logistically difficult, but uh, I would like to think that it's not impossible. Um, I don't think... Um, I think it would be tricky for us to do anything substantial and this is obviously what he meant by not doing something substantial a secret acoustic slot tucked away up the top of the site near the old railway line so uh, are there any big uh, clashes with keen set who else is at the same time well i actually ironically i cast your mind back to last year when tom and tim went to the festival um you know as punters yeah um and they raved about Ray Davis's set in the acoustic tents. You know, really said, like, the highlight of the whole festival. So you'll never guess who's on at the same time as Keane. Is it Ray Davis? It's Ray Davis and an orchestra on the main stage, oh, which I was really looking forward to. Um, I still could go see him. You know, fuck this Keane business. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yes. Um, I mean, I've never, I've never really been one for festivals. What are you expecting them to pull out of the bag for this? Well, as you said, it's the 40th... Uh, 40th Glastonbury and they've been announced as a special set so what do you think we're going to see? I'm going to be really anal and correct you and say it's the 40th anniversary but there haven't been 40 Glastonbury's but yeah uh, what I'm expecting is um, an hour long uh, acoustic set it's not going to be um, the full well the full production that we've seen in the forests no. um, Richard's been telling fans at, at forest shows you know since it's been announced that you know it's going to be special in inverted commas and I think you know, they've... You know, sorry, go on. I was just going to ask how he pronounced uh, inverted <laughs> commas. Um, he did the thing with his hands. Right. Um, I think that, you know, there is there is some history of them having played some good sets. I mean, obviously t 2005 was the last time they played, and it was a, a pretty good set. I think you can see that on, on YouTube. But for me, I mean, like their, their best performance was the first time they played. Um, coming straight in from America, played to an like, literally a huge crowd, 50,000 or so, massive crowd. Mm. Um... And, you know, the brain-stopping version of Snowed Under, and I've gone on about this before. Um, so, I think they're looking to top that, frankly. Wow. Um, yeah, something we, we didn't talk about um, about the Forest shows is that they've been using the sound checks to just you know, be a bit playful. Right. Okay, so people get in there early and, and pressing their ears to the, to the gate. Yeah, I think they, um, in Birmingham, um, they, uh, they rehearsed a brand new song. Brand new. Wow. Um, but, you know, um, and, you know, in addition to that and sort of trying things out, um, obviously I'm, I'm not expecting to hear any new material at Glastonbury, but they have been playing some covers. Um, I think they've been doing uh, a cover of one by U2. Um, and obviously with U2 pulling out of the festival, wouldn't it be appropriate? I mean, they did it for Oasis, didn't they, at V Festival? They did. So, you know, it would be, it would be perfect if they could, uh, you know, 
pay tribute in their own special way. Yeah, I mean, as as we heard before, Tim said he was looking forward to you too. So, yeah, that'd be some got some way to make. See, so, yeah, he, he was terrified that he was going to miss you two at Glastonbury. Now we all are. Cheers. <laughs> I don't want some cheers as if, as if Tim crippled him. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know exactly how it happened. Maybe Tom finally got him. Um, with, with a kitchen knife. Oh, t- oh. Do you remember that interview? That was a, a bit of a, an odd interview Tom gave. Yeah, it was, I think it was an, an odd time in all our lives. Tom's and the band's especially. So yeah, I think you can expect probably some surprise covers. Um, maybe a special guest. Um but definitely, I think afterwards, a lot of people are going to be talking about it. And I think if you're going along to the festival, as obviously I am, but Chris unfortunately isn't, um, I think you can expect, you know, people people are going to be um, talking about it for quite a while afterwards. So um, if you can survive missing Ray Davis, I'd get along. And for those of us who aren't going, I mean, is it going to be one of those special things you can press your red button to see on the, on the BBC? Um, as I understand it, no, unfortunately. Uh, the BBC does amazing coverage of Glastonbury. Literally yeah. brilliant coverage. Yeah. Um, possibly the best television coverage of any festival in the world. But unfortunately, they film the Pyramid stage, the other stage, the West Holt stage, the John Peel stage. And they also do some stuff up at the Park stage sometimes. But they don't do the Avalon stage, I'm afraid. But the good news is they have a pod backstage where they record um, special performances. And often, if bands are playing outside of their sphere of televisual influence they invite them in to play some songs backstage for them and then they show it on the tv coverage oh, so don't cool. give up hope i'd you know obviously i'd advise watching all the glastonbury coverage anyway but um tune in and maybe you'll get a surprise performance on tv and there's always youtube for for their actual set yeah i am um, i'm gonna see if i can take a maybe a video or two you never know cool. what will happen so um incidentally uh, the weather forecast for glastonbury is absolutely sensational Long, hot, sunny days. Only a slight risk of a shower on Sunday. Just in time for Keane arriving on site. Fantastic. I look forward to coming back lobster style. So, that's it for this edition of Beyond the INC. In case you were wondering why we haven't been talking about Mount Desolation this time, uh, we're going to be addressing them after their second UK show, which is at the Lexington on July the 7th. Now, we had a chat with Tim after the the first show at the Luminaire, and to be honest, I think he, and I've, I've spoken to Jesse since, and they seem kind of unhappy about how that first show went. Yeah. I mean, it sounded, sounded right to us. I thought it was great. Um, so, based on that, I think it's kind of unfair to go judging the band at this stage, so... Yeah, I mean, rest assured, we will get around to it at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you haven't already done so, why not download the track that uh, that gave the band its name? Oh yeah, the um, uh, what's it called? State, <laughs> state of the state of our Perfect. affairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Aren't we professional? Yes. It's available now for free at mountdesolation.com. Can't say fairer than that. Uh, we'll be back soon with a full review of the band's acoustic spectacular at the Glastonbury Festival. Chris will finally be giving his views on Mount Desolation, I hope. Yep. And we'll have some thoughts on the future of the Keen set list. Uh, as always, make sure you're following us on Twitter at twitter.com slash beyondinc. And keep your emails coming in to mailbox at beyondtheinc.com. And that is it. So for this time on Beyond the INC, goodbye, and we'll see you on the other side. Have a good time in Glastonbury, Andrew. Thank you.